Welcome to Crime Time on FayObserver.com, featuring Fayetteville Observer police and crime reporter Nancy McCleary. I'm Sonny Jones. On the podcast, we'll look at issues involving crime, courts, and public safety, highlighting stories in the news and hearing from those involved. And a reminder, anyone we discuss who has been charged with a crime is presumed innocent until found guilty in a court of law. Let's get started. It's been less than two weeks since the tragic shooting in Florida. It was Valentine's Day when former student Nicholas Cruz is alleged to have shot and killed 17 students and staff at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida. This week in California, authorities arrested a student and his older brother after a security officer overheard threats of a planned shooting at a high school. The shootings have put school systems and law enforcement in the Cape Fear region on alert. As we welcome in Nancy McCleary, the question has to be about any threats in Cumberland County and the region. What can you tell us about that, Nancy? Well, since the shooting in Florida, we have had um, several threats that were made to schools in the Cape Fear region. One occurred at Cape Fear High School. Um, I think it was Tuesday morning. There was a threat was made, and the school was put on a code yellow lockdown. Um, the sheriff's office investigated, but they were unable to find um, who the, who made the threat. They were unable to determine where it came from other than it was uh, social media. And so they deemed it um, not credible. Then on Wednesday, I think it is, um, you had one in Harnett County at the Harnett Central Middle School. Um, that one consisted of somebody riding a uh, sp- uh, school shooting February 20th on a, a stall, um, a bathroom stall wall uh, in the girls' bathroom. And um, again, that one was um, was deemed not credible. But as Sheriff Wayne Coates has said, they have to take them all seriously, regardless or not. I do not know if the school was put down on a lockdown of any sort, but I do know that Sheriff Coates said that they had extra officers at the school for that day and the next day. I've also heard about uh, social media unconfirmed or uh, threats at Southview, at Scotland. A lot of the school systems in the Cape Fear region, their administration has sent letters home or put out on Facebook or other social media to parents and students that you know, the, the steps they are taking and that everyone is safe. It's just, it, it's kind of like this is what we live in now, uh, and we have to be careful with social media out there. If someone makes what maybe we used to consider an idle threat, and just uh, it has to be taken seriously these days. You mentioned code yellows. Uh, Cape Fear was put on code yellow lockdown. What what are the different codes in the school system? Well, um, according to the Cumberland County uh, Schools uh, materials on their website, there are two codes um, that are used for schools. One is a code yellow, which is basically use caution um, that's when there's a possible threat to students, but it's not in the immediate area. For example, a lot of times you hear that schools are put on lockdown because police or law enforcement are looking for someone. That is a code yellow lockdown. The, the person is not necessarily on campus, but is in the area. Um, a code red means it's serious, that there is an immediate threat to the students, such as an, a person with a gun on the campus. 
um, those are the two that Cumberland County has. Well, I know you and the Observer staff will certainly stay on top of this story. It, it's certainly a topic that's on everyone's mind following the tragic shooting in Florida less than two weeks ago. You know, an arrest was made in a cold case, thanks in part to our own Nancy McCleary and her series in the Fayetteville Observer, Unsolved Cape Fear Mysteries. The body of 39-year-old Janet Lorraine Norris was found April 20, 2002, stuffed inside her car that had been abandoned in a field off US 301. Last week, authorities charged Isaac McDonald, who lives in Arkansas, with Norris's murder. The arrest came nearly 16 years after Norris's body had been found near Kennedy Drive, less than two miles from her home. One of the investigators for the Cumberland County Sheriff's Office at that time was Charlie D. Sponzio. He is now an investigator in the District Attorney's Office, and we had an opportunity to talk with him about the case. Charlie, let's start with some background about the case. What do you recall from your investigation back in 2002 and why at that time no charges were able to be filed against anyone? Well, what I recall, it, it is a very old school, circumstantial type case, motive, means, and opportunity. And um, we tried for three years, myself, Sergeant Trotter, Sergeant Reyes, the other members of the homicide unit, to try and bring charges, but due to the autopsy determining the manner of death as undetermined, the current, at the time, the DA and the senior leadership felt it was too big of a hurdle to overcome. So now in, in 2018, first-degree murder charges have been filed of the man in Arkansas, Isaac McDonald. What changed in those 16 years that, that were allowed you or, or the uh, law enforcement to uh, charge Mr. McDonald with uh, uh, the murder? Well, actually, uh, Nancy McCleary and the Federal Observer brought the case back to light. And at the time she brought it back to light with the article in the newspaper, she contacted my boss, the attorney, Billy West, and he asked me about the case. He assembled his senior staff, which were not the senior staff at that time in 2002 to 2005. They looked at the timeline, motive, means, and opportunity, and felt that they could overcome the hurdle of an undetermined manner of death. We knew the cause of death was asphyxiation. The manner was listed as undetermined, and normally in a homicide, the manner of death needs to be listed as homicide. But the DA reached out to Captain Bobby Reyes and Sheriff Dean's Wright for the Sheriff's Office, and Captain Bobby Reyes, who used to work for me in homicide, got the old file and went and recontacted everybody that I contacted between 2002 and 2005. And by the grace of God, he was able to locate every one of them. Every one of them had the same story they had back in 2002 to include the broken alibi which was key for the current administration that his alibi was broken. 
As, as an investigator throughout your career, does it bring you a sense of relief that, that an arrest has been made uh, 16 years later in this case? Well, it brings me relief for the family, especially the sister, Robin. Robin, from the beginning, was involved, and it just hurts me to know that her mother and father died before this arrest, but at least Robin knows that he was held accountable. I mean, as with all cold cases, the ones that are not solved will forever haunt the detective, especially if you knew who did it. That's Charlie Desponzio now with the district attorney's office talking about the murder of Janet Lorraine Norris and an arrest made 16 years later of Isaac McDonald. Desponzio mentioned McDonald's broken alibi during the interview. He did not want to talk about that alibi since it may play a vital role in the case if it goes to trial. Nancy, nice job with that Unsolved Mysteries series you've started. It must be rewarding to know that your story got the investigation going again and has led to an arrest. Um, first, let me say the Unsolved Mysteries started out as a uh, joint venture with staff writer Chick Jacobs, who is out now on a medical leave. And so I just want to say that Chick did his share before he was um, had to stop coming to work. So thanks to Chick. Um, so far as the Unsolved Mysteries of Arrest of Isaac McDonald, I give all credit to Charlie Desponzio and the homicide investigators at the Cumberland County Sheriff's Office who went out and looked again to make sure things were in place. Um, all I did, and I've told Charlie this, all <laughs> I did was I was told to pick a person to write a story about. I looked down, and there was Janet Norris's name, and that was that. And there you go. And yep. now uh, uh, maybe at least like Charlie was saying in the interview, uh, it gives the family some some closure uh, uh, in the situation with an arrest being made, and, and uh, we'll see if Mr. McDonald goes to trial. Uh, the next story in the Unsolved Mystery series coming up pretty soon uh, uh, the Fayetteville Observer and FayeObserver.com. Give us a tease about it. Well, that story um, will run on March 4th, and it deals with the disappearance of Judith Hyder. Um, she went missing in Bladen County in 2015 when she was 53 years old. Um, she, her car was found, but her body has never been found. Uh, there's been no word from or no communications with anyone i've talked with the investigator who's now working on the case as well as with her sister and her daughters um and you'll have to read it and see what they have to say there you uh, good tease that that is a tease there you go and i'm sure it's going to be an excellent story i know they've spent a lot of time searching for her in bladen county our next story comes from moore county a year-long drug investigation in southern pines and moore county ended with the arrest of seven people, the seizure of 44 pounds of cocaine, two pounds of crystal meth, five ounces of heroin earlier this week. Lawman also seized $85,000 and a vehicle in the effort dubbed Operation Leader. Nancy, you wrote the story on this case and uh, know a little bit about it. it uh, tell us a little more about this uh, Operation Leader that came out of Moore County. Well, according to Southern Pines Police Chief Bob Timming, Operation Leader 
was a successful air attack against German shipping vessels in World War II. Wow. And the, uh, the attack uh, disrupted the German convoy system, according to Timmy. And he compares that to the um, damage that they have done to an extensive drug trafficking syndicate and convoy system in Moore County, Southern Pines, and it reaches all the way from Charlotte to Davie County to Moore County. So, Quite, quite uh, widespread. Yes, it is. Um, one of the really weird, well, maybe not weird, but surprising things about this case, they, um, they're still looking for one person, to my knowledge, Calvin Fox, um, but a man who apparently is identified as essentially, I guess, the, uh, the, the leader of this in Southern Pines, um, Lee Marvin Harris Jr., he's charged with multiple um, drug offenses, I think some firearms violations, but he was also known to, um, he's been identified as a prominent member of a gang um, called the Dope Boys Click, or DBC, and it's operating in the area of Southern Pines, Aberdeen area. Um, He also has had uh, drug-related convictions um, in Guilford County, and all of this uh, prompted a magistrate to set his bail at $9 million. Um, $9 million. And I've talked to some law enforcement people who say they have never seen a, a bail set that high. I've done this job for 34 years, and I've never heard of a bail that high. Um, two other people who were arrested had their bail set at $5 million apiece, and another one had his bail set at $6 million. So it's hard to imagine that there'll be... Uh getting out and walking well and let me just say that the purpose of bail according to the supreme court is to ensure your appearance in court so evidently i would think that they have some question as to whether those defendants would stick around yes so true good reporting there good job by the southern pines police and several other law enforcement agencies involved in that case Well, you may remember in episode three of Crime Time, it was reported that Howard Adrian Ashleman had been arrested in Randolph County in connection with the disappearance of James Allen Chambers II in 2014. We do have an update. Earlier this week in Cumberland County Superior Court, Ashleman of Wade pled guilty to shooting and killing Chambers. Ashleman was sentenced to at least 15 years, six months, but no more than 19 years and eight months in custody. Authorities say Chambers' body still has not been found. The district attorney's office says that Ashleman admits to dismembering the body and dumping it off a bridge, but he's not sure where. As the observer's Paul Wolverton reported, the men knew each other. On the night of the fatal shooting, they had got into an argument. Nancy, tell us a little more about this case and the twists and turns that, took a, uh, that happened this week in uh, Mr. Ashleman's plea. Well, the fact that he actually um, entered a plea and actually was sentenced a week after he was yeah. in custody uh, or been arrested has got to set a record of some sort um, for getting through the, the system as right. quickly as it did. But as Paul, uh, as Paul wrote about, 
there had been some negotiations um, for a year regarding um, it was plea agreement negotiations, um, and I what I had heard was that um, he would not get a lengthy sentence um, if he could if he led authorities to the body. But apparently, um, multiple sources have told me he just doesn't remember what he did or where the body is, that he dumped it off a bridge into a river. Um, And Ashelman and um, Mr. Chambers uh, worked together at, um, they were, Mr. Chambers at least, was a civilian contractor on Fort Bragg. And they apparently um, had some ongoing animosity toward each other. Um, And I think Mr. Chambers' father has alluded to that earlier um but according to what uh, district attorney billy west has said and according to paul's story ashelman uh, said he stopped his pickup truck and took a gun from the bed and fired into the cab of um of uh, the truck and i believe mr chambers may have been passenger in that truck um and that uh after he disposed of the body he visited a marijuana dealer and um, made some statements about that uh, which the marijuana dealer did not report to authorities and um, according to to paul um, and billy west um, ashelman has maintained that he shot chambers in um, as as a means of scaring him but no, uh, Mr. Chambers was killed. Yeah. Well, it is an interesting story and how it all comes about. And, and it's interesting, not, not just this story, but a lot of these crime stories you read similar to this is uh, the person who is eventually charged, you know, something will happen. They'll say something to somebody. Or I believe in this, in this instance, uh, Billy West also mentioned that uh, eventually Mr. Ashelman uh, just kind of wanted to, to come clean. Well, as I had said um, when we discussed this case earlier, um, I did find Mr. Ashelman's Facebook page, and it did appear that he had had a, a change of heart, so to speak, found a new lifestyle. So we'll see. Okay. And let's close it with this. I want to mention this case, Nancy. This is really unusual. A former Fort Bragg soldier has pled guilty to conspiracy to trafficking and contraband cigarettes. Jonathan Rex Leach of Raleigh faces a maximum five-year prison sentence and a $250,000 fine. According to the U.S. Attorney's Office, Leach was part of a group that smuggled more than 47,000 cartons of cigarettes between Fort Bragg and New York, from April 2014 through November 2015. Leach was one of three soldiers who would buy the cartons on post. Now, what's the result of this, you ask? Ask. The scheme resulted in the evasion of New York state and city taxes of more than $2.7 million. And since the cigarette cartons were purchased on post, more than $150,000 in North Carolina sales tax was avoided. That is some story. Well, smoking's not good for you anyway. That's that's true. <laughs> that's true, and it's certainly not uh, for this individual. 
Well, Nancy, that's going to wrap it up. That's edition four of Crime Time. Who said this wouldn't last? <laughs> I did. <laughs> <laughs> Be sure to tell people about this weekly feature on FayObserver.com. Nancy and I thank you for that and for spreading the word about the show. We welcome your comments and suggestions. You can reach Nancy McCleary by email at nmcleary at fayobserver.com or on Twitter at fo underscore McCleary. You can reach me, Sonny Jones, by email at sjones at fayobserver.com or on Twitter at fo Sonny Jones. Again, thanks so much for listening. Hope you'll tune in next time for the next edition of Crime Time. <laughs>